Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello, everybody. Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. We are, you know, early July. We are getting really close, three weeks away from the national starting. I am so looking forward to that. Right at the get-go, I want to make sure that everybody out there knows that there's a get-together that's going to be happening that I'm kind of loosely organizing. It's basically just to come hang out a certain period of time. Different content creators will be there, both on YouTube, podcasters, uh, and people that just watch content. So if, if you're listening to this, you're invited, and we'd love to you to be there. That's going to be Thursday night of the National in Chicago at the Embassy Suites right across the street from the convention center. You walk in, there's a lobby there, and then kind of around the corner are some stairs you go up, and there's a huge, like, I guess it's the one and a half floor. It's not the second floor, really. It's it's a half floor, huge open area. Great for just chilling and talking and tables you can sit at and hang out and there's a bar and we'll just have a great time. So if you can be there, would love you to be there. Really excited about my episode today. This is going to be kind of a cornucopia of topics, I would guess. Uh, it's one of my favorite people in the hobby because he's so knowledgeable. He's just chill and we just happen to get along very well. And it's Chris Sewell, baseball collector, investor, dealer in that order. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's up, man? Welcome back to the good old US of A. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think Glad to a, have you back. This is my first time uh, being on screen uh, in, the, in, the, in the States. You're, you're welcome. Glad yeah. to uh, get you rolling with that. Yeah. Um, we talked beforehand. We've we've got a lot to talk about. Let me let me ask you about the national first. Uh, yeah. Are you excited? You getting it's getting close. Obviously, I'm excited. Yeah, that's my, it's uh, my favorite show of the year. Of course, can't wait. I'll be there all five days. I'll be I'll be at the Thursday event. What's the the event called? You're hosting again. I forgot the title. I don't know that I have a title. It's more right. of a just a content creator get together, mi- mi- mixed and mingle. I don't know what you want to call it. It's just a opportunity for people to hang out. I'll be at the Thursday night content creator get together, mix and mingle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to mention it on your show, you know, because you have, yeah. you know, 10x the subscribers that all the rest of us have. I so, will. yeah, I'll be doing a couple national uh, preview episodes. Yeah, we'll get that out there because I think, I mean, there could be 20 people there, there could be 200. I don't know. And it, it'll be fun no matter what. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that want to shake your hand and say hello. That would be cool. Take Always a selfie like with you. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've received uh three autograph requests in my in my career now. All right, is, that is so much fun. 
you need to get some <laughs> custom cards made. Yeah, somebody had a uh, somebody had a custom had a custom card made of me, and I, I signed it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's get into some topics. Um, hey, before that, I want to ask you because every time I, I yeah. watch your the, the I always the, the intro, and I, you've probably told the story on your channel, but I've never heard it. What's the story of your dad and and you guys collecting together? What, what how did that you know? Yeah, so that is really my dad doing yeah. the intro. He's got a face for radio like his son. And he, uh, I would, he is the reason I'm in the hobby and I'll, and that's really on two fronts, not because he ever collected cards. He didn't, he was in sports television when I was a kid, he ran camera for Rangers, Cowboys, Mavericks, stars. So I would go with him all the time to the ballpark or to the arena or whatever, and got to work a lot of those games as a 12 to 16 year old. And so it was a, a great childhood for a kid that loves sports. The sports nut in my family is actually my mom, believe it or not. Okay. And she grew up huge Cowboys fan, Rangers fan. And so it, of course, rubbed off on me, played sports all growing up. And with I have a twin brother and we played together all the time. And so it was just and then but my dad's a collector. He collects tools and tools. he's a huge woodworker. And so that collecting bug, I do believe, is genetic. And so it definitely passed on to me being a collector. But now we get to share. Like, I get to build stuff with my dad, with his passion, coinciding and dovetailing with my passion. No pun intended. We actually do use dovetail joints a lot on (laughs) different things we make together. We're currently, in fact, I'm going today to his house to work on the next project of a huge comic book. Uh, custom case that we're building so it's never ending and and to combine those things with my dad is always a good thing that's amazing yeah Yeah, very cool so yeah that's the story there um and if you've already heard it before you get to hear it again never never (laughs) bad to hear that again uh let me ask you one question i get all the time is mike how do i get started in vintage, where should I start? It's a huge world out there of vintage. Do you ever get that question? I get that question a lot, both vintage and just collecting in general, but uh, yeah, with vintage a lot. Um, it's a hard one to answer, right? I mean, the whole point of collecting is to collect what, what you like, what you enjoy. And so I don't, I can't tell you what you're going to enjoy, but you know, I guess in theory, we can, you know, you can be sort of pushed into vintage, which I, I generally try to Hey, try some vintage here and there. You know, most people get into the hobby collecting modern and I like to say, yeah, collect modern if that's what you like, but just once in a while, buy a vintage, see if you see if it sticks and something you might like your, your, your team, but just try it and then see if it sort of sticks with you and you end up going there. But big picture, you know, it's impossible to answer to tell somebody what they, they uh, should collect, but yeah, it's, it's so unfair to put that on anyone else to try to tell you what to collect or even suggest what to collect. I had a guy literally asked me yesterday, I want to break into the mantle world. Where should I start? I'm like, you got a lot wherever you want. No, I mean, the answer I gave him was, you know, try buy a couple of 60 cards, 60s, you know, stuff, because it's usually less expensive. Um, You can dabble in that. And if it's something that you like, keep going. The big thing is, you know, most people, if you go down a road and you don't like it, you you always sell it. And I'm just not that way. Um, 
I'm, I'm probably broken in that way. I probably need some therapy to, to help cure that, but yeah. I'm, I'm just a, kind of this hoarder. Like if I don't, but I don't, I don't look back and think I've made mistakes in the way I've collected in terms of what I liked and what I've done. Uh, I don't look at it as a mistake. I look at it as a learning process, right? For sure. Well, so uh, if you've, how long you've been collecting for? Since 81 straight, 81, so 42 so years. 40 years plus. So, I mean, it's not, if you if you don't sell at all, uh, and, I, and I know you've told me in the past you don't sell really at all, or maybe maybe a little bit, but. Only dupes, only if I have like, I buy a card accidentally twice, you know, which has happened more than often, more often than not. But, okay, but do you ever buy? Do you ever get like a collection of uh, '70s commons or something that is just sitting in your in your closet that you don't do anything with, or like how how hoarding has it got? How bad has it got? <laughs> Not like that. Like if it, if it's if I first of all, there's I don't buy a whole lot of collections unless it's for chasing cardboard, for example. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and in that case, it's more um, tie and mat sell everything yeah. and I get to kind of pick what I want for my collection that I want to yeah. keep, you know, I don't, so I don't just buy stuff just to buy it. I buy it because it fits something within my collection. It's a hall of famer. It's a autograph. I want something like that. So I don't run into the problem where I'm accumulating things that don't have a place. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I think most, the problem is that when it's the opposite, you've, you've bought something and then it goes in your closet and there's no reason to ever look at it again. That, that happened to me because I was a pure collector, hardcore for uh, 15 years, we'll say, uh, before sort of switching into the dealer realm. And yeah, at that 15 year mark, there were just closets of cards I was never going to, I would never look at and there was no reason to ever look at. They didn't fit into any specific collection and that just what that's what happens when you're a collector for 15 years you accumulate that much so um uh, if it sounds like you haven't really gotten there because you're a more targeted collector which is uh the the targeting helps yeah um but but i have definitely accumulated things that i'm like going wow i have 52 brooks robinson autographs you know do i really need 52 whatever however many it is you know and it's like a little bit of a problem, but I don't get rid of the other 51. You know, do you only, do you need more than one really? And, and the answer is for me, I just, I, I don't have a reason to sell. It's not like I need the, the money necessarily. I'm not, that's not a ego thing. That's just a reality for me. And yeah. you know, it, it's, it's my dogs are going nuts behind me. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, Your dog doesn't agree with you. He's like, dude, you got to get rid of those Brooks Robinson's. Yeah, they're definitely, um, let me see if I can text my wife and say, uh, have her get the dogs out of here. How many dogs do you have? Two. Jeez. What, uh, Um, what ages? What's that? What ages are they? Oh, they're young. Uh, Norman, Norman is the most famous dog on YouTube. Um, um, but or we just got a new dog, Claire. And so they, they, now that they're like, Norman wouldn't bark like that normally by himself, but they get each other going, you know? Yeah. Um, so, oh gosh, that's fun. Um, okay. So going back to the, how people get started. Right. And, and I always tell people, it's like, okay, what team do you like? What, um, 
is there a player you like is there an area like is there a particular set that appeals to you you know if you like 56 tops start collecting 56 tops absolutely and i'm a like for a long time i wasn't a set builder from a I just felt like why buy all these commons that I don't really care about, you know, just to have, just to have them. That seems silly. I've, I've kind of changed my tune. I kind of like having the sets, but only if I can put them in a binder where I can actually look at them. If if they're just random in a box, that kind of is pointless to me. Um, So I go after hall of famers and that kind of stuff that again, if, if you can, narrow your focus it makes the world of vintage a lot less daunting and a lot right. less intimidating because it I can be intimidating i think it's the case with any any collect it, that's the same can be applied to modern or anything it, sure. you know yeah and vintage yeah, it's endless right you'll never get every card um i always personally enjoyed well m- more recently i enjoy the uh the collector side of me enjoys the the chase more than the holding so like i love putting a set together i find that really fun but once I've had, once I have the set, I don't really feel the need to keep it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, there, there's exceptions to that, but for example, like with set building, I, I, that's a good example for set building. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's certain things I, I obviously keep, but a lot of me, a lot of me is just sort of the chase of it. Well, Jim Beckett gave me advice one time years ago, and he said, "Build a great collection for yourself." And yeah. And I think that can be true no matter who you are or what your budget is. And, you know, you don't have to have a big budget to collect vintage. You just need to build a collection that you enjoy and don't be afraid. Like don't follow my advice. Don't be afraid to get rid of things. If you decide down the road that, you know, I've I've gone down this project or whatever uh, path and I just, it doesn't do it for me anymore. I, I think a lot of collectors are afraid to get rid of it. They don't know that they'll get all their money back, et cetera, et cetera. Move on. Move on. Move on. You collect, you know, your collecting preferences evolve as they should. I mean, what I collected in the '90s is not—I don't have any interest in that, that anymore. There was one point I had like 10,000 Cal Ripken cards. They were all worth 10 cents each. You know, 25 right. cents each. I have no desire to own <laughs> 10,000 quarter, you know, 10 cent Cal Ripken cards anymore. But there was a time when that's all I wanted. I just wanted bulk Cal Ripkins. I wanted. I wanted to be able to sort them and resort them and sort them by year and sort them by uh, brand and then whatever, resort them again and get a, get as many as I could of the same card. Look, I have a hundred copies of this 91 Fleer. You know, today I have no interest in that. And yeah, so at some point I moved on and that's fine. That's part, part of the game. Yeah, there's definitely a life cycle of a collector. I used to use the word evolution as well, but yeah. some people in, in comments said, well, that means that, are you saying that other people are unevolved or that they're dumb or whatever? And the answer is no. But our, my point is your, your tastes just change over time. You, you mature in the hobby, you kind of see more, you get exposed to more and, and then more stuff starts to appeal to you. You, you kind of just have this life cycle. It, we all start, like you said earlier, collecting I collected in the eighties. I collected mo- the players that were playing in the eighties, Buddy Bell and Jim Sunberg and Rangers and Buddy you know, Bell, Don <laughs> Mattingly's and, you know, Alvin Davis rookies and, you know, just Davis rookie. Wow. Good one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good reference. <laughs> Doc Gooden, you know, those kinds of things. Like we all, that's where I started. And then I always liked vintage and yeah. it just, I just evolved as a collector. Both you evolve in your tastes and you kind of, 
change in your ability to, we all get more discretionary income, ideally, as we grow older and mature in our careers and kids get out of the house, et cetera. You're like, oh, I can now buy that card that I couldn't buy when I was 12. Right? For sure. For sure. So yeah. I, I think you just kind of change and, and that, that change is okay. I would tell people just embrace that. Don't be afraid of it. Just embrace it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And not, not everybody changes. You don't have to change it. Evolve doesn't mean like you're getting better. It just means you're changing. Yeah. I think most people do change and yeah, embrace it. And uh, I think in general, we've talked about this, I think on the last time I was on, we, you know, I think a lot of, not everybody, but a lot of people start with modern and then slowly drift. The longer you're in, you sort of drift towards vintage and have more appreciation for it. And uh, as you understand the history of cards and maybe the sports as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a natural evolution. Not everybody has tests to do it and does, but I think it's a cool evolution. It's one that I definitely went through and yeah, I think it's, I think it's fun. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people do. doesn't mean, like you said, you have to, are you targeting any vintage stuff at the national? Do you go to the national targeting stuff or you just kind of wing it, whatever comes to you? I, I specifically do not target anything. Uh, but I remember I'm, I'm really going with a dealer mentality uh, to the national. I'm looking to buy large chunks of stuff at a discount. <laughs> uh, if I'll, I'll usually buy one or two cards for my PC. My, my PC at this point is, is strictly Hall of Fame rookies. Um, and event, 90, 80, 90% vintage. Uh, a few modern, but for the most part vintage. And so I'll, if there's one I see at a good price at a, a, in a strong grade, I'll consider getting a couple or, or if there's like an upgrade to one I already have, but in a better grade, I'll, I'll do that. But I, I definitely do not target anything specifically. I, 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 intentionally, I intentionally do not target something specifically because that then I, then I end up with tunnel vision. I like to, sure. I like to keep my options open. Yeah. What are a couple of rookies that you would like to add that you don't have currently? Oh, there's, there's, there's many. Um, I mean, I just, for some reason, the first one that came to my head was a Joe Morgan rookie. I don't have, I had at one point I had every sixties hall of famer rookie in a, in a pretty solid grade, but I, I, I just randomly didn't have a Joe Morgan. So that was one. If I see a nice one at a good price, I'll, I'll, I'll look into picking that up. But there, there's probably a hundred that I could name. I, I mean, cause any, any, anyone I even already have, uh, I would be open to upgrading it if, if it made sense. Slabbed or raw. Uh, everything's slabbed here and uh, PSA preferred, but SGC is acceptable too. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk like I'm not an upgrader. Like, You're not an upgrader. Okay. Once I, I, I have I, a card, really, yeah. it, it's, I move on to the next thing, you know? Yeah. And I get a lot of questions like, well, what's that? You know, what if you bought the new one and sold it? I don't want to, I got plenty of other stuff I want to buy that I don't own at all. So yeah. maybe someday I become an upgrader, you know. No, but. I I, uh, I have a lot of respect for your your collecting uh, strategy. I find it very cool, very well thought out, uh, and not a lot of. Pe I think it's very I don't know advanced for lack of a better word. I, I, I consider you like an advanced collector, and I don't think a lot of people have gotten there. Yeah, you're very targeted. You don't need you know the flashy thing that everybody would say. You know, I think that's very cool. I think that's just from time obviously yeah. experience is is time and then learning from mistakes like i've made plenty like I, i'm far from uh yeah no, mistakes, are good, right? mistakes are good you learn from them you don't you don't learn from your 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 
wins. You learn from your losses. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't want to fail. They don't want to make a mistake that, which is why they ask questions of people like us that have been doing this for a long time and they're in, they're new in the hobby. They're like, I don't want to basically, they don't say this overtly, but it's, I don't want to make a mistake. So tell me what to do to minimize and mitigate the chance that I screw up. And I can't, you know, I don't, and I really don't want to save you from that. You need to learn that on your own. It's like our kids, right? You need to go make mistakes. Yeah. You got, you got to mess up, man. Yeah. It's, it's, okay it's good. Mess. It's good to mess up if you learn yeah. from it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and okay. Um, so nothing targeting at the national Joe Morgan rookie. So what, 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 about, what about you? What are you targeting? Um, I've got like, I want a Pee Wee Reese rookie. I don't have that yet. That's kind of a card that I'm play ball? what's it? Yeah. 41 play ball. I, I yeah. definitely don't go in. There's every national, pretty much every show I go to the more open-minded I am about things, things speak to me and I yeah. buy things that I love that I, if, if I was like, like you said, had that tunnel vision, I might've just ignored because I'm looking for these other things and, you know, a red man tobacco card or a this or that, you know, whatever. I just like cool cards. And yeah. that's kind of the, the mindset I like to go in. My favorite day of the national, I've talked about this plenty is the, is Wednesday and early Thursday, because I feel like everything's, you know, it hasn't been picked through yet. It's kind of all available. And if I'm looking for a Pee Wee Roos rookie, let's say, um, I would, I'll have however many are there will be there, you know, Wednesday. They haven't been bought and, and things. I would love a DeLong, 33 DeLong Gehrig. That's kind of my Oof, pricey. Next, yeah, little pricey. Um, <laughs> I need a bunch of 50 Bowman Hall of Famers for some reason, you know. Uh, your, your Hall of Fame one, you're missing a bunch? Yeah, on 50 Bowman. And, um, Wait, just, does, go, does, your, does your Hall of Fame run go back to 50 or 48? 50. Okay, you don't go to. You didn't want to include the leaf. <laughs> well, I buy rookies. Yeah, pre fifty. Um, yeah, and kind of post war, like I guess technically Reese is pre war, but that's just been a card that you know it's different set registries, and I'm I'm a slave to the set registry. I I've admitted it. I own that, and mm -hmm. I like the completion part of that. I like the checklist part of it. The the slight competitiveness of that. Um, yeah. I'm always looking for press steals that I need and, you know, different autographs. That's, that's the great thing about having a broad yet targeted collection is there's always something to look for and it, yeah. I can zig and zag, you know, if I get tired of looking for certain things, I can always, well, there's plenty of other little projects that I have going. Yeah. So I, so I, I, I think it's really interesting that your favorite day is Wednesday or you said Wednesday and Thursday, uh, which makes perfect sense. My favorite day is, is Sunday, which I'm, I'm going to guess is your least favorite day. I don't even, uh, I never even stay for, I leave Saturday because I don't need to stay yeah. for Sunday. Yeah. Uh, for me on Sunday, dealers are looking to, to dump stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right. If you're looking for a 41 Pee Reese, you know, you're not going to probably, you're much better, much more likely to find it on Wednesday than Sunday. Right. But if you're looking to buy out a quarter box at, you know, a nickel, a card, it's much more likely to happen on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the cool thing about the show, depending on your perspective. And you might be both of those, right? Yeah. Right. Right. You might be looking for cards that you want to add and then adding inventory. If you're a dealer or flipper or whatever, then Sunday's your day. So that's the cool thing. There's kind of something for everybody. 
you know, I think they're going to see dumping of wax this year too by the by the distributors. Interesting. I, I don't do anything with wax. I'm once in a while buy an old old box to store, but not very much. But why, why do you say that? I don't follow that. Well, stuff. years ago, you know, on Sunday, late Saturday, Sunday, distributors would start discounting wax just to try to move it. So they don't have to haul it back. And, and you always know the next product's coming down the pike. You're going to be. And, and so it's kind of this wonderful opportunity. And that, you know, that was gone 2021, 2022. That didn't really happen because okay. of just the demand. They didn't need to discount boxes. And now with overprinting happening again. Um, people, people realizing how little value you get out of a, out of a box. Yeah, there, and that's part of the kind of maturing as a collector too. I, I don't open wax at all unless it's I literally want to piss twenty dollars away or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's enough because theory. you're going to get five dollars back in in value. And you know, I, I do. I'm not saying I never open wax. That is not true, but yeah. it's very um, random, and I know I'm literally throwing the money away. So yeah, yeah. It, and that's okay. Like uh, people can make that choice if you want, but the idea of buying wax as a money maker, I've learned is not a good idea. Yeah. The, the dealer I worked for when I worked at a card store in the, in my teens for three years. And the dealer always told me like, if you're buying wax, this was all the way back then. So it was the case. It's always been the case or it, it's always been the case since let's say the mid nineties. Um, he said, uh, if you're buying, if you're buying wax, you're paying for the fun to open it. You're not paying for the, for right. Value. It's yeah. pure entertainment. And if right. you, so if it'd you're be like going to a movie or anything else, if you want to entertain yourself for a little while and have fun sorting and all that, great. That's yeah. what wax is for. Right. It, it, it is not for, if, and if you get lucky and hit the lottery and hit a great card, congrats, but don't expect that ever. Right. Um, yeah. so like, I like tops holiday for some reason. Okay. I just think it's a fun product. It's one of those easy set to put together. It's usually, you know, two or 300 cards. And I buy usually four or five boxes of it because I like the funny relics and the funny, you know, parallels that they have, you know, Mike Trout wearing a Santa hat. Like a snowman relic and like exactly the, the winter sweater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do got I, a, do, uh, do you any, sorry, do you any vintage wax? No. I mean, I have a couple of early 80s boxes that have been gifted to me that I haven't opened just because like they're just sitting right over there. But no, not 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 really. I'd be too tempted to open it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd have too much fun with that. Uh, yeah, I'm not a vintage wax guy. I um, had a uh, sorry. Go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I, I told the story on my channel. But it, was a, it was a long time ago. I bought a, me and Jeremy bought a, a 78 tops wax case. Uh, and we, we sold most, we had it all authenticated and we sold most of the boxes, but we decided to break one box uh, to see how it would do. And at, at the time the boxes were going for like, you know, $1,500 a box or something. Um, we opened the, we opened the 36 packs of 1978 tops. It was a few years ago. And I mean, we, we pulled probably $75 worth of cards out of, uh, out of it. And we were immediately like, why would we ever do this again? <laughs> Nothing was mint. You know, we were like, we can grade. I think we sent like four cards in for grading, you know, you know, Carl Ustremski got like an eight, a couple things like that. There was just no, no return at all. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes to show. We yeah. kind of maybe know what we're talking about. 
we've, we've made those mistakes. Like, come on. Yeah, oh, oh, lots of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the Hall of Fame real quick. Let's um, do it. Somebody yep. uh, just retired or got DFA'd yesterday, a, a player that I love, Nelson Cruz, got DFA'd yesterday by the Padres. And uh-huh. I'm like, I wonder if he's going to get picked up. And then I started looking at his baseball reference page, you know, I've, I, he's been a very good player for a really long time. You know, he's 43 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Nelly Cruz, is he a hall of famer to you? Uh, he's not, he's not to me. No, he's not, he's not. Okay. No. Is it what you? Does, what kind of, what kind of signals hall of famer to you? You know what? I actually want to, so it's so, it's almost like a gut feel thing, right? Um, uh, based on just following and I, and I, I don't follow as closely as I did back in the nineties. Like in the nineties, I'm very comfortable telling you this guy was a hall of famer. This guy wasn't here. I would want to like look at it further, but yeah, over the course of the last 10 years, 20 years, it just doesn't feel to me that he was a hall of famer. Um, what, what, what about you? Uh, stats matter. Longevity matters, but there's also the eye test, right? And, and the guys going in now I've watched, all of their, I've watched all of Nelson Cruz's career, you know, each from the eighties, I've been following baseball pretty intently. So I know all these players that are Scott Rowland to me was never a hall of famer. Right. As an example. You know, you know, what's an, you know what I'm probably biased on like card values. Like if a, you know, Nelson Cruz is essentially a common. So to me, like, and Scott Rowland is essentially a cop. Like I'm not talking about his rookies. Um, so that's sort of, I don't know if that should, probably shouldn't matter, but I'm sure I'm, I'm biased in that sense. Well, I, I thought Fred McGriff was. When I watched Fred McGriff, I thought he was incredibly consistent and really good. And people, oh, he wasn't even the best player on his team, you know, certain years or whatever. And I'm like, I watched the guy. And I'm telling you, I thought Hall of Famer. This guy, Fred McGriff was Hall of Famer to me too, yeah. And he he was not a common during his playing days. I, today, you know, he probably is. but right. He was not during his playing day. So, so what you just said, I want to go back to because uh, it's funny. You said you you literally listed three things like longevity. Would you say longevity, greatness, yeah. and then the test? Yeah. I, I totally want to design. This is like a long term dream project. I totally want to design a Hall of Fame criteria that factors in exactly those three things. Those are literally the three criteria. Although I would change eye test to something else like. Uh, significance in baseball history or something not necessarily the eye test because i think the eye test is a lot harder than people realize i mean like uh, yeah fred mcgriff i followed his career but did i watch 10 percent of his games definitely not sure um so yeah but 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 those are the three things and i think a lot of people only focus on one they'll be like well he had 300 wins so he's a hall of famer he had three thousand hits he's all well he had three mvps he's definitely a hall of famer but or, you know, I saw him play. He was, but you got to factor all three in because all three matter. Yeah. And I, 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 I like initially, I feel like you have to be, you have to check off two of them as like, yeah, you were a Hall of Famer in two of those three. And uh, I, I don't know. I haven't, I, I want to develop a, a, like a, a real way to calculate if you're a Hall of Famer. I, I know, I know that's not the right way to do it, but war is close, but I want to do it better than war. <laughs> well, I think I've come up with a better way to think of war. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I, I hear war talked about all the time, which by the way, I, diving into it, I think it's actually a pretty good statistic for 
I'm not a big advanced metrics guy overall, but I do believe that it does a good job encompassing the value of that player in the era in which they played. So yeah. you can look at war and you can compare Ty Cobb, you know, a pre-war player to a modern player with war because it takes into account ballpark factors and, and the era in which they played. So the that, average player in their era. Yeah. Yes. The average player and it goes year to year, the average player that year, you know, yeah. so it's, it's literally per year. And so during the sixties, when late sixties, when it was a pitching, you know, heavy type of era, the hitters are just compared with the other hitters having to face the pitchers on a higher mound and all the things that were going on that gave pitchers a distinct advantage. And yeah. so that matters to me because I, it's hard to compare just raw numbers with, you know, Ty Cobb versus Ichiro. For you, can't. you can't, it's not, not even fair. Um, bigger league, more diluted pitching, you know, all pick all, you know, there's a thousand things that, that differentiate the, the time that they played and, but war does a good job of that. But I think war is kind of misleading overall. If you look at a player's career war, because you it's war is a cumulative statistic, right? The longer you play, the higher war you're going to have, assuming you're a reasonably productive player, you can have negative war for sure. But uh, most like most players are adding little ticks to their war annually so the long it, it it skews war career war is skewed towards the players that play long time what if you have a short peak or what if you're a Kofax type guy or even looking at modern players like trout and guys that haven't played the entirety of their career so i i took war and i said all right great i the reason i did this honestly was lou gehrig um my favorite player of all time for some reason, he's not talked about in the same breath as Ruth and Aaron and Mays. Right. And I'm like, he was cut. His career was cut short due to a debilitating disease. So he didn't get to play. And he still played 17 seasons. He played a long time. But what I said was war per plate appearance that that became like, okay, let's take longevity out of it and just divide their career war by their plate appearance. That means how impactful every time they were coming to the plate that felt or feels like a more reasonable comparison. Yeah. So I, I, I heard, you know, I've heard you mention that before. And the first time I heard you mention it, I was like, you know, wow, that, <laughs> that is a, uh, that is a, a groundbreaker. And how has nobody else thought of that? Um, but, so I, I th- so war uh, I love war I think the, the war stat is is great I would I would push back on the c- cumulative thing because it is a, c- a cumulative stat but you have to be good to accumulate it you can't it's sure. not like a you can't be a mediocre player getting 150 hits every year and then suddenly you got 3,000 right you have to if you if you're a mediocre player you don't accumulate anything so you have to be good um, so in, in that sense I don't think that's like a problem of it but I do, I do like your, your, uh, your take a lot. And I think it might, might be an improvement on it. Although, uh, yeah, although I'm not sure yet. <laughs> well, you, you want to I've put together my table um, and I thought I could share it with you if you'd like to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. Okay. So if you're listening on podcast, we'll, we'll do our best to talk through this a little bit. This is simply a spreadsheet that I did. Uh, and, and I'm using 
baseball reference war. I know there's different types of war that people look at. Um, And so my chart here, I have a few columns. I've got their career war rank. So their cumulative war, where they rank career-wise. The player, uh, how many years they played, if they're still active, what their age is, their career war how many plate appearances they had. And then, so that calculates it's easy math, right? You take their career war divided by their plate appearances is war per plate appearance. It's, it's not a hard math equation. I'm not doing, you know, long division here or anything. It's, it's simple. And so what jumps out at you as you look at this list, just looking at kind of the first 20 ish or so. Uh, Well, I mean, a lot of things. So uh, Josh Gibson, number two. Wow. Um, I guess he had so few plate appearances, but uh, okay. Babe Ruth number one makes sense. Bonds. So here, so I, I love your stat. I'm not, I'm not uh, knocking it. The, the, the concern I have with it is it punishes longevity. Uh, like if you're, if you're, if you're great for 10 years, and then you retire, that's player A, or you're great for 10 years and then you're very good for 10 years and that's player B. Player B is clearly better in the big picture, right? But player A would have a better war per plate appearance. Did you follow that? Yeah. I mean, look at Trout. I mean, he's played, he's in his 13th season. He's injured now. He just got hurt. But he's number four all time in war per plate appearance. Yeah. Like if Mike Trout... If Mike Trout retired today, no one would consider him the fourth greatest player ever. Correct. But and but over time, and he's only got, you know, 6,400 plate appearances, his war per plate, he, he, he should get worse as he gets older, right? He's not going to be as productive, most likely. Yeah. Um, he could buck the trend and be like a Barry Bonds, who did, did really well. Or even Nelly Cruz, who, you know, has done well in his mid to late thirties. Um, his war, he will fall down this list over time is my right. It's same with like Mookie. I mean, Mookie bets number 17. Yeah. Like that. Who, who I don't even write. Who's Willie Wells. He's a Negro league player. So, wow. you know, ba- when major league baseball, so is Turkey Stearns. He's number 10. Yeah, yeah. Time in war. Right. So, there's a lot of guys that are included in here. I don't, I don't know that I – Oscar Charleston is another one that's way up there, number six. He's a um, – Is Dan Bro- Dan Brothers or he's a, a – uh, No, he's a pre-1900 guy. Yeah. Like he's an old school guy. Yeah. Uh, and so the – do I think Josh Gibson is the second best player of all time? No, probably not. But it – and if you look at the war per plate appearance – the differences start getting very minuscule except for the top two guys like Ruth and Gibson are. Yeah. Wow. Ruth, wow. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. That they're 10, they're 10, 15% ahead of number yes. Hornsby. But I, and it's amazing that Hornsby is that high, like Hornsby would above bonds. I would just wouldn't have thought that that was even in play. And it's not even close actually. That's a huge difference between, 12.9 and 13.4. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a big difference. And cause that's per plate appearance. Like it's, it's a, it's right. a big deal. 
Um, Hornsby is so underrated. But what this, I think, your takeaway from this is, wow, I need to rethink maybe, you know, you look at Mantles, number 15. Everybody's always talking about how great Mantle is. That's about where he is career war, right? Yeah, yeah, 16. Yeah, he's 16 career war. Yeah. Um, but Shoeless Joe Jackson is 111th in career war, but, but he's number 18 in per plate appearance. Right, but still, but you know, he's a good example, right? I don't know when he retired, probably age 30, right? Right. He, the, 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 the problem is a player like him, he, he doesn't deserve to be that high because if he had played in his 30s, it would have gone down, right? And you can say that about Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, wow. Uh, yeah. Like Trout, you know, these – it like you – know, you know what I'm saying? Like a, like, a, like if, if a stat shows the right people at the top, then it's probably a great stat. This, this does a pretty – I mean, this does a pretty interesting, a pretty interesting job. But, but so, some, the, the, that's my concern, Trout, Betts, Judge already being that high. Uh, well, you think about a DiMaggio, right? Who retired, yeah. Um, after 13 seasons, he didn't play 20 seasons, right? But he is 42nd all time in career war, but per plate appearance, he's number 22. So he gets he his career is looks, you know, people are how great DiMaggio was. Well, if DiMaggio would have played 16 seasons, right? Yeah. He'd have a higher career war, most likely, because he still would have been above average, most likely. Yeah. But not per plate appearance, it would have started to, to diminish. Another, you know, kind of the shoeless Joe. Jackie Robinson is number 19 all time in career war per plate appearance. Only played right. 11 seasons, right? So um, I, I just think it's an interesting way to assess greatness. Right. I, I think it's a really interesting way. Yeah. A very, very interesting uh, take on war. The, so the great thing is nothing's perfect. No, no, for sure. And so it actually raises an interesting question. Like if you're um, an all time great and you're sort of at the end of your career and you can have a season where you put up like a war of one. So you're an above average player, but you're not standing. You're not an all star or anything like does that add to your legacy or, or hurt it? Because if you go by career war, it would help it. If you went by this, it would actually hurt it. Well, let's take Pujols, I think, as a Pujols, recent yeah. great example. I think if you're like having terrible seasons at the end, like Willie Mays or something, it probably hurts. I'm looking yeah. to find where Albert Pujols is on this list. Um, I probably already passed him. Where's my boy? Where's my boy, Cal? Ripken. Cal is pretty far down. By the way, I did the top. <laughs> he had a lot of at bats. <laughs> a lot of plate appearances. Um, I did the top 500 players of all time. Top 500, man, that's some quality. You gotta. I guess should hire you on my research department. Well, it, if I'm being honest. Oh, by the way, the last guy. Harold Baines, perfect. Harold Baines. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. He's and Behind. here's a great example of a player that gets too much credit. Harold Baines. Sorry, I'm going to just divert here for a second. Yeah. 368th in career war. But he's 500 and he's 501 in war per plate appearance, meaning his career war, it's only because he played a long time that he's that high in career war. Per plate appearance, he was very, he was equal to Nick Marcus and Mickey Vernon. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Who are no one would ever say are Hall of Famers, right? So, 
No, in the in the in the three tier thing I came up with, or you came up with, or and I agree with, he's as he's he doesn't hit any of them. Right. And yet he's got a bust in Cooperstown. Um let's find your boy. We are looking at 500 names. Uh, but you'll see a lot of Hall of Famers really far down this list. Nelly Fox, Red Sheets, yeah. Luis Aparicio. Guys that were like, yeah, that makes sense. They were more known. Uh, they were playing either, most of them were second basemen or shortstops back in a day when that wasn't a highly offensive position. Right, right. right. And so um, you got George Kell up here, you know, way down there, I guess I should say. But look at where Pete Rose is. Wow. So Pete Rose wow. is number 41 in career war. But because he played so long, he's 419th. In... How, how was he um, like towards the end of his career when he's playing with like the uh, the Expos or whatever? Very he, mediocre. He was Very a mediocre. mediocre. But he was Man. he was probably getting like one more a season. Like he was and, above average. It was above yeah. average. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. and I would argue Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. if you look at his true productivity, which is really what this shows, well, how productive were they every time they stepped to the plate? P. Rose is not very good. And no. that's going to be like blasphemy to some people. Yeah, uh, Who's ahead of him? Yeah. I mean, Lance. Ordonez is ahead of him. And Moises Alou and yeah. Lance Parrish, you know, a light hitting catcher, you know, in terms of every time they came to the to plate, You'd rather have Lance Parrish is basically what this says. On an wow, that's exactly correct. On an in an average over the course of his career, on an on the median at bat of Lance Parrish, you'd rather have him than the median at bat of Pete Rose, which is a added more wins. Yes. Wow. It is right. Nelly Cruz, right? Nelly Cruz is this doesn't Yeah, Nelly Cruz is way down there. Yeah. Um so how can that be? I'm just telling you. I just—it's just math. I'm that's just what doing the math. That means right. That's statistically what that means. The math doesn't lie. That is statistically what that means. Um, now, again, nobody in their right mind—if you had a key at bat—would choose Lance Parrish over Parrish over Pete Rose. And yet, the stats would tell you you should, right? Um, I'm trying to—I'm trying to think where the flaw in the logic is, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Pete Rose, I'm sure, surely had a better peak, right? Of course, no doubt. Yeah. But this is over the the, the, the median entire at bat. career, the median at bat of their career. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dave Winfield, 102 in career war, Hall of Famer. Nobody really questions that. No. Right. But per plate appearance, he had a lot of mediocre seasons towards the end of his career that that brings down that. War per plate appearance, which is what we're talking about. Um, I'm still trying to like Eddie Murray. Oh man, 76 in That's career the, war, but 370 in war per plate appearance. Yes, yeah. See, I, 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 again, I feel like the 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 stat punishes longevity a little too much. I don't I don't know if there's a way to adjust for that, or if it should be adjusted or not. But do you know what I mean? Like, it's a Absolutely. lot of these guys, a lot of these guys who were good for a long time and then sort of mediocre at the end, just end up really low here. You know, I, I bet there is a way to adjust it. Now, I'm thinking through this literally on the fly. But if you took their peak, if you took their 10 best seasons even, you know, right. and then did war per plate appearance, would that oh, be a – You nailed it. <laughs> or, or or something, something like that. Yeah. 
Because I do believe the war for plate appearance has some validity, right? Yeah. yeah. In terms of adding value. At the end of the day, you want to win games. And uh, I'm still trying to find your boy. Uh, He's got to, he can't be this low. No, I wouldn't think so. But I mean, maybe he was. Cal Ripken overrated, by the way. Um, No chance. Uh, we can, well, that could be a different. That could be a different. That's uh, a whole other podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like Brooks Robinson's getting punished here. He's way down there on more per plate appearance. Yeah, but he was more defensive, yeah. right? So, right. and this, the Baseball Reference WAR does take defense into account. So, it it kind of helps the overtly defensive players. Right, but I, but I think I think um, advanced. I might not be right about this. I think advanced statistics over recent years have shown that things like stolen bases are a lot less valuable than we used to credit them, and I think defensive, too, maybe. Right, um, man, he's he must be up here. I would. There he is. One. Okay, he's still One. a hall. Of, still hall of fame worthy. So yeah, <laughs> career war. 24 or 24th all time, but he's 118th in war per plate appearance. So he played a long time his last few years, but he's above Ken Griffey Jr. He's above Ken Griffey Jr. In war per plate appearance. So uh, Ripken had some, some sort of duddish years towards the end, but I guess so did Griffey. Yeah. So I, yeah, I feel like there should be some way to filter that out because when you think of the legacy of Ken Griffey or is, is Ken Griffey a hall of famer? You don't consider his last few injury riddled seasons where he, he wasn't any good. Oh, Griffey's a uh, kind of inner circle guy, right? Yeah. In what way? Just inner circle hall of fame. He was that good. Like, I Oh yeah. Yeah. Ripken was first ballot too. Yeah. And should have been. Yeah. No question. Um, still he's overrated, but okay. Um, <laughs> he just uh, always dangerous. That's why. That's why you feel that way. <laughs> no, no. But like Adrian Beltre's. Yeah. You know, pretty much if you're in the top hundred WAR per plate appearance, you had a really good career. You know. Is there anybody in the top one hundred? Is there anyone like in the top fifty who's not in the Hall of Fame? So that that's yeah, not, not like a Jackson or a Barry Bonds type of thing. Yeah, Pujols. Uh, by the way. um Number twenty all time in career war, ninetieth overall in war per plate appearance. But that's because he had some really right. bad years with yeah, the, cut out the last right. Cut out the last five years, and I bet he's like at the top of the list or near it. Or right, you put his top ten, you know, his top first ten seasons, for example. Oh my gosh, he's got to be okay. Now you got me thinking about Same my next project. Griffey, right? Same with Griffey, right? Sure, Griffey, Pujols, even uh, and that might happen to Trout. Uh, you know, Trout might be going that direction too, like. Top first, you know, best player in baseball for the first is t- first ten seasons, and then by the end of it, sort of doesn't end up h- that high on these on this list. Right, uh, Scott Rowland, by the way, who we were talking about. Uh, okay, well, he's that's basically there. exactly where he he was career war. So that's yes. why. But he's above Chipper Jones. He's above Al Kaline, Mickey Marshall Cochran, Ryan. Duke Snyder. Duke, Snyder. you know, all guys that you would say, yeah, they're all Hall of Famers. You know, no, no question, yeah. So. Uh, okay, so, yeah, Fred Dunlap, Morgan. Fred Dunlap's a pre 1900 guy, I think. Okay, um, but you've got a guy like Charlie Bennett, I have no idea who that is. 
Everybody else. Charlie Keller, who I don't know. But Al Alex Rodriguez. Kevin Kiermeyer is in the top. He's 466 in career war, but man, per plate appearance, he's number 31 all time. You gotta start picking up his rookies. <laughs> right? I mean, actually a really high war per plate appearance. Yeah, um, impressive. Above Alex Rodriguez and you know, Jimmy Fox and Eddie Matthews, uh, Carlos I mean, Correa. Carlos Correa. This, these, these, these will drop. Obviously. Yes, they will drop. 100% they will drop. Um, so, yeah, other than they're all Hall of Famers, Shoeless yeah. Joe Jackson's not. Yeah, right. Or then there's Barry Bonds, obviously. And Barry but... Bonds. So where do you stand on the, on the PED guys? Um, I don't have a strong feeling. I, I see both sides. Uh, sorry to have a boring answer. I, I, I completely see both sides. Um, if it was truly up to me, I'd probably, I'd probably let them in. But I, I don't, I don't have a strong, strong opinion about. Yeah. It. Yeah. So, finishing on the war per plate appearance, and I'll let you go. We'll, we'll finish, wrap this episode up, put a bow yeah. on it. The, yeah. look, I think that all statistics need to be taken. Like there's no one perfect stat, right? So you kind of look at all of them in totality and that tells you that forms the picture of what this player's career was like. And I think this is just another piece to that puzzle yeah. for white appearance. Um, I remember the first time I did it and I, I've redone it since then, but I remember like Bobby Gritch was like, he's high and here he is. Real. Yeah. He's number 52 all time in war per plate appearance. And I never thought of Bobby Gritch as a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's in above Wade Boggs for crying out loud. In war per plate appearance? Yes. He's, oh, wow. Because he was, his war, is actually, his war is quite high. He's one of the highest war guys to not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I, he would be a guy that if he got in, I wouldn't be upset. Uh, yeah. We can always tell he's way more, more valuable to his team than uh, Harold Baines was. But, See, Harold Baines ruined it for everybody, right? Now everybody should get in. <laughs> but, again, it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all. I think it's another component to consider when evaluating a player's career and their Hall of Fame worthiness or just their, their impact at the game, right? Yeah. Um, it just got me thinking these it, – It's and it's going to be funny to see or interesting, just not funny, but interesting to see how it changes over time, right? for the current players that are playing. Yeah. Um, so definitely some work to be done. Obviously down below guys, if you're watching on YouTube, would love to hear your thoughts. And if you're listening on podcast and didn't see any of that, go watch it on YouTube on bench clear media to, you can see everything that, that Chris and I were looking at as we were scroll, scrolling through it, but I'm glad you at least find there's some value there, Chris. I appreciate that. I, I do. I find, I think there's a lot of value there. I would I, not, I would love to. I'm not giving this assignment to. I would love to uh, see the that done over just their ten best years, and then, and then you know, in the three pronged, you know, are, are they a Hall of Famer? That would sort of represent their short term, short term greatness, maybe, as uh, as the the answer is if they're a Hall of Famer on that prong. Well, that may not be an assignment that you overtly gave me, but I'm taking it. And uh, <laughs> oh, no, and you're, you're taking it. How, how, how long is that? Is that a is that like an hour project or is that like oh days? gosh, to do 500? <laughs> well, I got to go through 
Because well, maybe not all their – do I need years. to do 10 consecutive years or can it be their 10 best seasons, you know, just in war? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't, I hadn't uh, thought about it enough. I think that's – I think I just take their 10 best war seasons, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean – easier they, to figure out. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you, if you want to take on that project, that would be amazing, but – all for you, Chris. Just just because you you've challenged me, you've laid the gauntlet down. I need to do that. But uh, right. man, thanks yeah. for this. Is your first Golden Age of, of cardboard? I think episode. No, no, it's like, I was on. Second. I was on. It was it was quite a long time ago at this point. But yeah. Well, we need to make that more regular than less sure. regular. Sure, and, sure. Uh, I'm I'm ready to take on Jeremy again on another. He wants, uh, he, wants a, he wants a rematch, or he wants to offer a rematch. I'll take it. Uh, if you don't watch Chris's channel, you're, you've been hiding under a rock. Tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, baseball card collector, investor, dealer. And sometimes we do game show type things. And uh, Mike took on Jeremy at one point. It was a very close battle, but uh, Jeremy eked out the win in like a, a baseball card vintage trivia game. Yeah, we'll have to do that again. Maybe we do that as a golden age episode. Yeah, that was cool. Since- especially as a vintage thing. Um, but I want to take you on too. I challenge you. Well, we got to get Jeremy to host then. or that's, that's I can fine. find a host, I, but I'll, I'll already tell him what the questions Those are. are questions. Yeah. You did have some good questions. So yeah. uh, go check out Chris's channel. If you haven't, uh, you, you definitely should be following him. He does a lot of great uh, different kinds of things on his channel, puts a lot of content out there. I think you'll enjoy it. So Chris, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, really fun. Thanks for having me as always. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Keep collecting.